Greetings. In this episode, I speak with Colette Schmidt. Philly is a gigantic city, and yet somehow it feels like a small community sometimes. Colette and I share many mutual friends, and I ended up working on her property, which she calls the Passion Flower House, due to the abundance of passion flower growing on the land there. While I was working there, Colette and I spoke only briefly, but she informed me about some of the work with which she's involved. I heard the words shamanic hypnotherapy, and it was enough to perk my ears. So I invited her to record a conversation. And we actually recorded two conversations, and what's being presented in this episode is only our second conversation. The first conversation was time-constrained and honestly felt a bit incomplete, but here's an excerpt from that first conversation. I do work with clients, usually individually, um, helping them reaccess their past lifetimes. For me, this work is very, uh, very intrinsic to my own life story in the process of me breaking my neck, of being paralyzed. Um, of my work with plant medicines uh, here in, in North America, but also in extensive time that I spend in Central and South America with traditional people there who are shamanic, part of shamanic tribes, part of shamanic culture, where they use plant medicines to help cure and to liberate uh, what, you know, really to just uh, access, um, you know, existential liberty is how they describe it. Uh, so for me, the work with doing past life work is a, it's a hypnotherapeutic technique and it's like using what we would consider entheogens or, 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 you know, psychedelic plant materials, but without using those things, it's, you're able to access the same parts of consciousness. So I help individuals create healing and connection and connection to their, how great and eternal their spirit is. This conversation begins with a question about prayer. We recorded this conversation before the conversation that I recorded with Sun, And we also started that conversation with a question about prayer. With Sun, I asked, what does prayer mean to her? How is it different from meditation? Do you feel as though prayers are being heard by some kind of higher power? It seemed that for Sun, this Buddhist nun, prayer is simply just seeing the world with open eyes, having the vision of everything in this world being precious and beautiful. This feels similar and different from how I've come to interpret the experience of the shaman in prayer. The shaman enters into the spirit world and has direct interactions with spirit for the purpose of healing others. There is a defined intention in this journey toward healing. Shamans are healers. How Colette describes her experience in prayer seems to point to this common path of seeing the truth in reality. Whether there are spirits to be consulted or simply just a river to be honored, in prayer is an opportunity to tap into oneness. Through this conversation, I arrived at another perspective on prayer as a method of healing troubled roots in our subconscious. 
as a practice in peeling back the layers of our subconscious, we can discover truths about ourselves. What patterns of behavior am I signing up for, as Colette puts it? So, here it is, another heartfelt conversation with insights abounding and brainwaves connecting. Here we are. Hello, Colette. Hi, Harry. Hello again. Hi. <laughs> Hello again and again and again. <laughs> this conversation that's about to happen has me thinking and wondering how many times I've said hello to you, not just in this lifetime. <laughs> Where to begin? I have this thought that keeps coming up and I, I think this is where I want to begin. You've been speaking to me about prayer. Hmm. And I've been exploring prayer in my own life. <clears throat> and I, I have this experience sometimes when I'm praying or when I think I'm praying where I step out of the prayer and I ask myself, what am I doing? Where are these words and these thoughts going? Is anyone or anything hearing me right now? Hmm. Feeling me right now? And recently, learning more about spirit and shamanism, one person in particular uh, this man named Michael Harner. Maybe you're familiar with him. Hmm. No. He, he speaks to this experience of the shaman and his own experience where th there is no question. There's no, there's no faith. It's not a matter of belief. When they pray or when they interact with spirit, they know because... They speak to spirit as if I was speaking to you right now. They, they know it. And when you pray, is it a matter of belief for you? Is it faith? Or have you had these experiences where you know, you know that your prayers are being felt or heard? Hmm. Well, first, thank you so much for reaching out to me again, Harry, to to come speak with me. I really, I really appreciate that, and really, really honor you and uh, honor you as a friend, and um, yeah, as a colleague in this life in the city. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. Uh, I think oftentimes what might happen to someone, and it definitely happened to me, was when I was growing up, I really didn't have a connection to prayer. I didn't have a connection to, um, to really ancestor work, which is what I do in my life, which is very much connected to shamanism, very much connected to 
to spirit work for for many people who practice those types of uh, really practices. Really, I don't I don't think I refer to it as a religion or a belief. I think you described it quite effectively that it's it's a knowing, and the knowing happens usually as uh, you're caught off guard by it. You're perhaps not connected to it. You don't have a belief, so to speak, and that connection that we have to not even really the other side. You know, other people, you know, might describe it as being the other side or in heaven or hell or these types of archetypes that are quite common at this point. But for me, it's that there's so many different places that energy that um, that energy can go. And really, when we look at what makes us humans, what we carry, what our essence is, this life force that is this unexplainable, beautiful and profound thing that every living thing carries on this planet, the fundamental essence of it is energy. And it just changes form. It changes form in different directions and can go to different places. So for me, with my path, it very much was something that called me in and wasn't wasn't asking for it, wasn't looking for it, wasn't praying for it, wasn't uh, um, thinking I needed it, but it was something that found me. And for me, it's in, yeah, an undeniable knowing, an undeniable knowing. So it's very much beyond this idea of belief at this point. Uh, and it's something that's not easy. It's something that is incredibly beautiful, incredibly inspiring, but also can be very challenging. Uh, the connection that, that I have with, with these types of things. And... Hmm, yeah, so I think that's... That's a very great way to describe even just my experience is that, yeah, it truly is a knowing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think it's actually good that you don't know, you're not familiar with um, Michael Harner. Michael Harner is an anthropologist and he wrote two books that I'm familiar with, The Way of the Shaman and Cave and Cosmos. Mm. And uh, so my my knowledge of shamanism uh, is mainly coming from what I've read and heard of him and his experience. And he speaks of three worlds, the lower world, uh, the middle world, where we are currently inhabiting. This is where at least my consciousness is right now, and then the upper world. And uh, shamanic experiences 
take consciousness to either the lower world or the upper world and and, and it becomes an experience of non-ordinary reality mm-hmm. um, so I am curious uh, to learn of your experience because I think without knowing Michael Harner and his experience you're you're probably very similar to him um, I see you as an anthropologist hmm. um, you've you've interacted with many different cultures uh, hmm. many of them coming from South America and the last time we spoke you had just returned from Colombia and you, you always have these stories for me of the cultures that you are interacting with in South America mm-hmm. um, so let's actually back it up because I'm, I want to know more about who is this, this person sitting in front of me what's the story for <laughs> Colette in this lifetime Hmm. Maybe we'll get into other lifetimes later, but in this lifetime, <laughs> where are you from? Were you did you grow up in Philadelphia? Yes, I I grew up in Philadelphia, um, as well as in the suburbs. It was pretty much half and half. I uh, started out living out in Norristown area, and always went to school more or less in the city. And then when I was a teenager, I moved to this neighborhood. Um, Which neighborhood are we? To, to West Philadelphia. West to, Philly. Yeah, so to not far from here, maybe a few blocks away. Where we currently are right Where now. Where we currently are right now. And um, yeah, so I always had this, this interesting kind of connection with the city while also not living in the city and then... Um, yeah, and then just kind of ultimately being here. But my my next oldest sister and I were blessed to have a 10-year difference between us and my oldest sister. And what happened in that 10 years was that my parents were more financially secure and had taken my oldest sister through our local school system in Norristown. And it was really not good for her. She was already struggling with a lot of other issues and the school system, I think, perhaps exacerbated her her difficulties in life. So my parents, finding an alternative, they decided to send us to Quaker school when we were young. And the Quakers, for those perhaps listening who don't know, are a really interesting culture. Some might define it as a religion. I don't necessarily define it as a religion. I really think of it more as a as a belief structure. Um, But the Quakers in Philadelphia were the first white people to really settle here. William Penn was a Quaker and they were essentially kicked out of England from for being too radical. And what they believed was that there's that of God in everyone. And this was incredibly challenging to the structure of the 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 Church of England, which of course has this very hierarchical structure and type of constru- structure to for that's quite controlling in a sense, um, and they left England as a way to find more social security and and political security for themselves and landed in Pennsylvania. And a fundamental aspect of how Quakers communicate with 
with God, sort of in this in this realm of how you spoke, this this kind of upper echelon, quote unquote God, um, and the connection of God within, is they sit essentially in a silent meditation, facing each other for an hour. So they all sit in these benches, in a pretty nondescript plain room, wood benches, and just sit in silence and connect with inner thoughts, inner emotions, um, and their own relationships with each other. And then if one feels speak is feels moved rather to, to speak and to kind of share their inner truth with others, then they stand and they speak. And a fundamental aspect of Quakers that's so very beautiful. Like for example, the school that I first started going to school in was built in the 1600s. And there was hidden rooms in the school for slaves that were escaping from the south that were heading further north once it became too dangerous for them to, to even stay within this area. Um, because at one point, southerners were able to actively go and reclaim their slaves in the north. So for a lot of uh, black people escaping slavery, this was not even necessarily safe for them here. So they had this entire network of even houses around the meeting, uh, they call it meeting for worship, uh, their, their meeting house where they go to pray and would just actively, you know, hide people to help them escape. And they're just fundamental activists for life in this very beautiful way are, are very strong against the abolition of the um, death penalty. There's a large death penalty, anti-death penalty group that's run by Quakers in Pennsylvania, are very involved in political activism. And similar to, I think, other faiths like Buddhism and even really shamanism, it's, it's, it's really lovely in this way where they, they just kind of do what they do. They're not out proselytizing. They're not out trying to recruit other people. They're not out, they're just doing what they do. And as a result, there's not so many of them, <laughs> so many of them left because they're, they're just, they just do what they do, as they have for a long time. So were, were you raised, I mean, is, is Quaker, Quakerism, is, Quake, is that a religion? Do they regard it as a religion? Yeah, I, I think technically um, it is. And it's interesting, I actually don't know so many people who identify as, I do know some people who identify as Quakers, and I don't know that I've ever really had those discussions with them about how they... Uh, they're really multi-generational Quakers, so people who've kind of been brought up that way because they're, you know, and they connect with it and they, you know, raise their kids that way. Um, but I think it's both. I think it's, you know, people who, yes, identify it as a religion, but then uh, for me, perhaps it's really just a way of informing connection to life. And, you know, that being said, when I grew up in the school, you know, and for me, like, I couldn't sit still when I was a kid. You know, I was, like, constantly... I was huge for my age. I was, like, the biggest kid in the class times 10. And um, just always needing to be moving and physically active and engaged. And, and you know, c couldn't sit still and couldn't raise my hand to speak and these types of stories. So it was... Um, and it, it was great, though, because I think if I was in the in the sort of public school system, I, I, I probably would have gotten sent to uh, 
special ed or something just for as like a disciplinary thing whereas the the environment I was in was so much more free they really honored having as much time as possible for all of us to go play every day outside to literally be outside be in nature school had a lot of really grandfather trees on it like these huge old beautiful trees that were around that we could play in and from a young age they would really start teaching us about nature about native american cultures about slavery about some of the things we would do in school when i would tell them to um to people as an adult they would just absolutely be like what like you did that as a form of learning like for example we had this learning one time where we were actively re-experiencing what it was like to be abducted as a black person into slavery. So they literally had a sack and tied us up in a sack. And it wasn't in this way that was felt scary or hostile or dangerous or um, traumatizing. It was literally like, it was almost like this playful thing, but that wasn't playful at all. And kind of having that that ability to be young and be innocent and um, and enjoy sort of the liberty of being a child, but also fundamentally understanding this this insanity that is racism, this insanity that is othering of other cultures, of other experiences, of other religions, of other whatever, you know, social economics systems um, that people live in. And I had that from a very young age. And what it does is it creates a vibrational frequency of being open and of being able to receive what's around you. And also really being able to be still. And, you know, I, I shared just me being able to physically sit still and meeting for worship for an hour every week starting from the time I was four years old in Quaker school and it was like just this unspoken thing of like this is what we're doing and this is what's happening and and I don't know that consciously I was benefiting from it much at that point in my life it was like oh meeting for worship okay let's sit there for an hour in silence and okay we're gonna do this thing every week hmm. but the the embedded um effects of that are tremendous I think they're really really tremendous and um, if I may sure so now I backed it up let's back it up even more yeah because you're able to back it up more than most humans any human I know really uh, you're <laughs> able to back it up to the, before you were even born in this body mm-hmm. right is that right yeah so Go with this question wherever it takes you, but how did you end up? Like, um, I've heard it said that we choose our parents um, before we're born, before we're incarnated. Now, does it make sense to you? Does it all line up as, as you see it? Like, what is it that allowed you, allowed your soul to be born into this family that positioned you in this education? There is a... There's an aspect of of past life work 
that happens, whether you're experiencing it in a shamanic ceremony, whether you experience it through hypnosis, through the work that I offer, whether you experience it through sometimes different like tinges in getting body work, there's lots of different ways you can experience it. But uh, for most individuals, what one of the things that you might have happen in, in these recalls is the profound connection that you have to different physical individuals in your life in the here and now. And for me, my connection with my mother is tremendously beyond just my physical form and my physical experience in the here and now. Through so many different experiences I've had in past life work, in shamanic work, in just knowing her and our connection, it is so much deeper than than me just simply being her daughter, which is already a tremendously beautiful and deep connection um, that anyone has with their mother. What happens is that there is this phenomena of energy that different the different forms of energy attract other forms of energy on just a fundamental level. In the same way that an atom has different components of, you know, subatomic particles and, uh, you know, has its nucleus, and then they all kind of work together in this way and they attract other types of atomic structures. Thinking about it on a particle level of a soul, I believe it happens in the same way of attraction and this happens what we call as lifetimes right different how we how we describe sort of timelines of being here and being now and for me in my life I was kind of going on uh, just you know being a kid growing up and when I was 15, I had a very, very devastating injury. And I, when it first happened, I, um, I almost died and I, I, I crossed over to the other side. What you oftentimes hear as being a near-death experience, something like this. And I could feel being pulled over to the other side. And when I came back into my body again, because um, I literally was hovering over my body and looking at the room and looking at things and could also feel kind of the energy behind me um, of pulling me into the other side but not like going there just kind of like floating and being there and then eventually going back into my body again and kind of coming back into my body and um, That was the beginning for me of just the very long journey I've been on. That next month will be 20 years since that injury of really just being in communication with the other side and being in connection with, with my soul family. And some of my soul family is here with me, is literally still embodied and physically here with me in the here and now. 
And one of them is 100% my mom, uh, my mom Anita. And it's beautiful, it's, it's really amazing. And what happens is that with past life experiences, why I love offering that work to other people is that for me, it's like every time I offer it, it's like I'm receiving the work as well. I'm receiving the experience as well because I'm at the point where I am so connected to the other side. And again, it goes back to me explaining how it's very beautiful and also very challenging because being in this physical form, being embodied on this planet is very, very difficult for everyone on this planet. I don't care if you're Kim Kardashian or if you're a man living in a box on Broad Street. It's uh, a very difficult experience. And I think that what happens in my experience with doing past life work is it's an amazing recognition of the soul's journey of different form, of different experiences, of different connections we have, and of the support we have on a soul level for our path as beings of energy, our path of learning and developing as evolutionary bodies of energy, regardless of time, regardless of space, however we want to be constructing those, those ideas that I fully believe are an illusion. What ideas are those? That, for example, that something I have to, and it's funny I say this because it's also a reminder of me every day of my life as I really am someone who tries to do as much as possible. I'm involved in so many different things. I'm blessed to travel a lot. I know lots of different types of people. I, I live a very blessed life. And I also put a lot of pressure on myself to try to do a million things at once. And I'm like, oh, I have to accomplish this. And then I got to do this. And then I got to, but also on like my lifeline, like, okay, I have my lifetime. I got to accomplish this in my life. And it's also a daily reminder to me that on my soul's journey as a being of energy, um, that I have all of the time in the world to accomplish whatever it is that I choose in this process of learning on a, and I'm, and I'm kind of, and it's also too, because I, it's hard for me to even describe some of these things. It's like, I can see it and know it and feel it, but it's like, you know, as a, I think like a particulative energy is how I describe it, but it's so much more infinite than that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just, I think that we're just getting to this really interesting point, evolutionarily speaking, of humans, that the human species, if we do survive what we're doing to the physical world that we live in, that we inhabit in this dimension on this planet, that the aspects of shamanism of being able to journey to other dimensions, to other worlds, to communicate with ancestors like they're sitting right here in front of you, to communicate, that so many, cult like every culture on the planet has these types of connections, has these types of stories and lineages. 
all of them. And what's amazing is that when you're in a shamanic state, in a visionary state, whether it be from past life regression work or really just regression work in general, I mean, past life regression work is almost somewhat constricting because what can happen is people might go, I mean, I've led sessions where individuals have had full on incredibly elaborate, real, however you want to define the realist feeling of you sitting in this room talking to me experiences of as being aliens traveling through space having full-on storylines and lifetimes like lifetime stories of where they've come from where they're going what who their friends are who their families are what their connections are what their purpose is um these types of things are possible and i think that evolutionarily speaking humans will eventually get to that point where the collective knows how to access those different aspects that we all have the potential to connect with at any given time, at any given time. So maybe I can, I can bring the focus to your line of work. Um, I know you have many lines of work, but yeah. specifically uh, hypnotherapy. Mm. Past life hypnotherapy, is that how you would refer to it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of it, but I think I more so describe it as, as shamanic hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. Shamanic hypnotherapy. Okay, and by by calling it shamanic hypnotherapy, does that necessarily mean that your patients will experience non-ordinary non-ordinary reality during a session with you yeah i mean that's pretty much a guarantee (laughs) um the work the work with hypnotherapy is very similar to how so really hypnotherapy is a, a concentrated point of awareness and Everyone experiences different types of really self-induced hypnosis throughout the day. You know, it's, it's really just a concentrated point of focus, point of awareness. And what happens is when we're in those states, we're in the ability to remove our full dedication, our full embedded awareness, attention in the conscious state. So we have, for example, the autonomic nervous system in our bodies that is moving blood through my body, is helping me respirate, is helping me breathe, is having all different types of chemical functions, responses, any synaptic responses, nerve responses throughout my day, throughout my sleep, when I'm asleep, when I'm not conscious. All these things happening all the time. And our mind works in the same way. We have our conscious states and then we have our subconscious states. And what happens is when we engage in the subconscious, we are able to access other states of consciousness if we choose, right? If we're guided in that way. We're also able to engage in almost like the hard drive of how our human operating system is. So, What happens is that when we work in the subconscious, we're able to tell ourselves 
in this subtle yet very deep and profound way, things that enable us to change what we would like to see happen in our conscious in our conscious life, in our conscious form. For example, some person might want to stop smoking and they've tried everything, but they might go see a hypnotherapist with the intention of, of ceasing smoking. And it is highly effective for many individuals mm -hmm. to work in the subconscious realm, to be planting the seeds of that work, to make a changed pattern in the conscious. Mm. The work that I do for hypnotherapy is that, for example, I did a session yesterday with someone. And again, because I'm very, very connected to other states of consciousness, and I'm also very connected to other individuals, to their states of consciousness. I had never met this person before, and she's coming to my house. Before she even got here, I already knew that she didn't need past life work. I didn't even talk to her on the phone, you know, we were texting, but I just knew. And she came, and what, how I offer a session is that it's really like an hour, well, maybe not an hour, but at least a half an hour of sitting with someone and talking with them and understanding what they're going through, what's going on in their life, where they've come from, aspects of their personality, things they like, things they don't like, parts of, you know, just who they are. And she came and um, sat down and I'm a, I am use a form of uh, kind of intuitive work around muscle testing. So muscle testing, again, works in the subconscious. It works in working in the subconscious reality that we have within us that's like connected to our hard drive, like the root of it all. And she came and started explaining to me a bit about what was going on with her life and all these things I explained. And I did some muscle testing on her and I didn't share with her that I thought she, that I didn't think she needed past life work. I just, you know, and what happened was that when we started just doing a dialogue, doing discussion around what's going on with her life, why she came to me, why she felt called to come visit with me, these types of things, because I think it works on this very magical way oftentimes when people find me. Um, that I could see 100% that it was not what she needed. And we did some muscle testing work on her body that verified what she needed to work on was her lifetime in the here and now. And not just as an adult, but it was in her childhood that she needed to do some work. So I verified that with muscle testing. And then we did some more sort of talk therapy. And I found the exact root of what she needed to work on. So then what happened was we proceeded to do a hypnotherapy session around that work. And what happens is when I'm doing the hypnotherapy work, I am constantly communicating with my guides, with my ancestors, with my prayers, with my level of connection that I have to be able to say and to guide and to pray in the way for that person, for my client, for them to be able to do the work on their own 
that's coming from their own experience from the inside out. For them to be able to understand the nature of what they're carrying and what they're holding on to. So that way they can reinforce the aspects that they perhaps want to see change in a different direction with the information that they want to be planting there instead. So it works in this way. When you arrive at that conclusion, that here's the root, the source, is that something you share with them? We all have many sources of <laughs> things we need to work on, right? Part of the work of doing family constellation work, especially. Family constellation? Yeah. So that is the work that I referred to. Uh, that's Bert Hellinger and now Mark Wallman. And it uses the same techniques that many of my teachers who do past life regression work implement into their regressions. Sometimes I offer regressions where I want someone to just literally have an experience that is fully on their own and they go wherever they want to go, wherever they need to go. Because we've all had so many past lifetimes, generally speaking, you know, and they all have really amazing information to tell us. They all have just beautiful learnings. We can have soul connections with our here and now. We can see connections to our spirit family in different forms that can give us comfort, give us insight, give us our connection to the vision of, of life, which is what I often refer to the vision that is beyond this in the here and now, right? But individuals who come that are really like, I'm here because I have a problem that I want to have worked on. That's when it's like, what is the problem? What is really going on in your life? That's beyond, oh, I want to have a passive experience. Let's have to like, let's just have fun. And I'm like, I want to see where I can go, you know? Because what happens is that as beings of energy, as evolutionary, just constantly getting better, constantly learning, constantly on this, on this sort of particulate being of energy, as I, as I, if I had to describe it as that, we are born, again, this is my belief, we are born into these lives, into these experiences. Actually, is this belief or do you feel like you know this? Ah, I know this. This is what I know from my experience. Thank you for correcting me. This is what I know from my experience. That we are given what we didn't finish when we were here last. Hmm. So when we are experiencing this life, it is fully as like just, okay, I was in grade, I was in fifth grade last time around. Now I'm in sixth grade, but it's all elementary school. It's all elementary school hmm. in this life. So the way that I guide sessions for people is sometimes a session needs to just be in the here and now to figure out what's going on in the here and now mm -hmm. to bring some healing and comfort into that. And to also bring, to even just create a quietness in the conscious mind to be able to access past lifetimes because some individuals are so anxious or depressed or fearful or 
uh, resistant or whatever it may be to quiet their conscious mind enough to be able to really work with the subconscious. And a lot of it has to do with just the, the stuff that we carry from our experiences, from our families, from our here and now. So it's a matter of saying, okay, what's really needs to happen here? You know? Uh, yeah, I think, um, I think I need to, to try and gain some clarity here, because um, I'm having these thoughts, these questions come up, and it, it's difficult to express. So, we're speaking about healing and trauma, healing from trauma, and sometimes your your methods of healing, they take individuals uh, to, it seems like they always take individuals into their subconscious. That's your expertise. You guide individuals into their subconscious. And sometimes that journey into the subconscious explores roots of trauma linked to this lifetime here and now. Uh, let's just take the example of smoking cigarettes. Mm. And I'm just going to throw an example out there. Perhaps for an individual that you work with that smokes cigarettes and wants to heal from that, that addiction, that could be linked to some sort of childhood trauma from the, that lifetime, this lifetime here and now. Now, you also have this ability to uh, facilitate a journey into a past life where you said there may be uh, work that still needs to be done, unfinished work. Um, now, part of the, the, the work of a healer is diagnosis. And y yeah, so you can speak to finding the roots, the roots of this problem, whatever that problem is for an individual. Um, and sometimes the roots are in this lifetime here and now. Sometimes those roots are in past lifetimes. Mm. Now, am I, am I understanding this correctly? Yeah. Okay. So, and, and so you say sometimes an individual doesn't need to go to a past lifetime, right? They actually need to explore this, this problem as it relates to a trauma earlier in, in that lifetime. Right? Mm. I think there's always benefit to having past life experiences. So it's a matter, again, that I'm at the point with my work where. I've learned from having clients who've come to me that say, I want to have a passive experience. That's why I called you up. Like, we're, we're going to do this, right? Like, I'm going to go there. Let's do it. And we can't go there because what their subconscious, what their hard drive 
what their innate knowing that we all have within us, the ability to know how to heal ourselves, to know the points of focus and attention that we need to go to learn, to progress, to progress, to evolve, to go to seventh grade, you know, we all, we have all have all those things, a matter of connecting to it. So, so those individuals, sometimes they need to draw their points of attention to what's going on in the here and now before they can go back. And it's used as a tool for being able to go back in time to see something that's before the here and now. And again, it's, it's intrinsically intertwined. As I mentioned earlier, it's this aspect that what we experience here is a reflection of something that we experienced in the here, but in a different time, in a different dimension even, perhaps. So it's, it's a combination of those things. Sometimes, too, certain individuals, again, because of just how closed off they are in their conscious mind, are not able to relax their conscious state of hyperactivity to be able to access the inner parts of the hard drive. It's like looking at your computer and knowing you need to open it up and get inside, but like you just can't find the right tool, you know? Or maybe you don't want to find the right tool. Because you're so, you know, you're so firm and like, oh, well, this is it. And if you, does that indicate some sort of repressed memory? I don't know if it's a repressed memory, but again, I don't know that every person in their form, in a body, on a soul level, is ready in their journey to do the work that I offer. It's not for everyone. And I don't in any way claim that it is. Now, do you say it's not for everyone in the sense that not everyone is capable of being hypnotized or not everyone will benefit from that work? Everyone is capable of being hypnotized. It's a matter of if they want to be hypnotized. So, for example, Again, my teacher, Brian Weiss, who, for anyone listening, I highly recommend reading his work. I highly recommend reading his seminal book about past life work, which is called Many Lives, Many Masters, and about how really he learned how to do this work. And he's one of many elders in the community who, who do this work and really learned how to do this work on their own. Um, he talks about how after he had sort of his ground zero patient that revealed the work and how, how it was done, her process, tremendous healings that were happening to this woman, he was like, whoa, I want to have a positive experience. Like, how do I do this? Like, and he told me that it took him four months of actively meditating, of 
actively quieting his conscious mind, of actively trying to just go within, go deeper, before he could have his first past life experience. So your teacher, will, he willed himself to remember his past lives. He wasn't hypnotized by anyone else. I don't think it's willing because I think there's a, there's a misunderstanding a lot of times in how hypnotherapy works. An individual is fully having their own experience. It is not me telling you you're going to have an experience. It's not me telling you what you should be seeing or what it's, it's a communication. It's a, it's a co-experience. And, but really the individual is seeing everything on their own. It is merely me that is guiding and directing from my own shamanic work, from my own connection, from my own understanding around healing and how to connect to the inner parts that we carry from many, many years, from t literally 20 years of my life, having to figure out how to heal my own body from complete paralysis, from many physical injuries, from many emotional traumas, how to do this work. And I'm continuously learning how to do it. It's a continuous, it's a life path of continuous learning. So every individual has the ability to be hypnotized, but it's a matter of if they want to do the work and if they actually want to sign up to do the work within that's going to ultimately help them in their life. And not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody, again, it's back to my sister, right? It's like, not everybody thinks they even have a problem. Maybe everyone else is the problem. Maybe their parents are the problem. Maybe it's their sister was the problem. Maybe it was, you know, and I'm not saying that you know, it, it really, our experiences in life and all of the things that we can have that happen around us, seemingly happen to us, I fully believe, again, I, I fully know in my experience, this is my knowing, that we have a level of signing up for it. So it's a matter of what you're signing up for and how you want to change what you've been automatically signing up for as a result of your conditioning. Can you break that down? What do you mean by that? Signing up for, what are we signing up for? And what's the conditioning? <laughs> mm. We all tell ourselves different stories about who we think we are, different aspects we carry, different, oh, for example. I always seem to meet these men, like just saying this as a statement, someone who might say, I always seem to meet men who are like wanting to take advantage of me or cheat on me or treat me badly or, oh, it's always happening to me. Why is this always happening to me? Hmm. hmm. So we can look at this as, okay, is this happening to you or 
are you signing up to be creating the chemical signals in your body that are feeding your emotional body the drugs that they need, the chemical, literally the drug chemical sequences that you need in your body that are created by your experiences, created by epigenetics, created by this idea of like astral DNA almost, right? Which works in the idea of past lives and regression work. What are those embedded traits that are in you that is signing up for that? That is calling that in? What is the learning that you are fundamentally needing to get so that you stop doing those things? What is the root cause of why you are signing up for that? And looking at what aspect of you that you are carrying within your physical form, here and now, two legs on planet Earth, that is doing that. And so it's looking for that initially and then going deeper into that. So saying deeper, 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 getting to the point where it could even be a single word that is held within you. Could be a physical aspect that you're carrying on in your body. Could be a smell, could be a, but it is a memory. It is an embedded response within us that might need to have healing, that might need to have transformation that might need to have extraction and an implementation of something different that is the positive response that you're trying to create, that is the positive lover, partner, husband, all-seeing, you know, perfect balance to your life that you're trying to bring in. In my experience, again, from learning all these things and continuously learning them, it is always within us. It's always right here. It is not happening to us. Hmm. And that's difficult for people. <laughs> that is a very difficult concept for people to again, take ownership, to take ownership of, wait, I have the ability to change? All these things, I can do it. No, I can't, that's too hard. That's not possible. I don't have this, I don't have that. I don't have money, I don't, I'm stressed all the time. I gotta go to work, I got kids, I got whatever, whatever, whatever. All the stories we tell ourselves. It's, it seems to be that there's these ever increasing levels of awareness where it could start off by first even just having the awareness to say, I have this problem. That's just at first a level of awareness. I have this problem where I keep finding myself in these harmful relationships, these unhealthy relationships. Okay, boom. Level one. And then level two could be, okay, then asking the question, why? Why does this keep happening? Or level two could even be acknowledging the problem and then deciding, I don't want to experience this problem anymore. Right. What, what do I need to do in order to not experience this problem? And just like me having stomach aches, I told you about these stomach aches. Okay, here's a problem. I'm having these stomach aches. I don't want to have these stomach aches anymore. What do I need to do in order to not have these stomach aches? Okay, well, what's the root? What's at the root? What's causing this? 
I love this. I love this conversation. I might need to change the name of this podcast to like feeling healing or something <laughs> because it, it's, I love Philly, but I don't know if I told you the name of the podcast is feeling Philly. Oh, cool. But, and as much as I love Philly, it's like, I think it's going to branch out because I'm just fascinated with healing, this process of healing. And yeah. I love the perspective you're bringing in <laughs> with, with past lives, but also the, the subconscious and it goes into the subconscious. So, okay, uh, stream of consciousness. Um, <laughs> um, I don't always need to build it up to a question. I can just pour my thoughts out and you can just respond. But uh, there is a question in here somewhere and it, it has to do with, <sighs> yeah, these, these levels of awareness and you playing a role in guiding a person or, or being there for someone as they ascend through these levels of awareness. And, okay, yeah, as someone begins to discover the roots of their problems, can we find a better word for this? I don't wanna keep saying problems, but okay, we'll say problems for now until we find a better word. As someone begins to discover the roots of these unhealthy behaviors, then what is the next level of awareness to obtain? What, what, what happens next? Oh, okay. I had this terrible experience with a man at a very young age. How do I heal from this? And I'll just keep going with it because now I'm reminded of some of the the studies I've, I've heard about where we're beginning to open up to the power of plant medicine. And um, I guess MDMA is probably coming from some kind of plant before it was synthesized in a lab. But um, individuals suffering from PTSD can take MDMA and then speak about their traumatic experiences and whereas in the past, they may have spoken about those experiences and it may have brought about lots of fear and, and tears and sadness as if they were reliving it, they're able, under, with MDMA in their system, they're able to speak about it calmly. And they're almost able to re-experience it, but detach themselves from it and just see it and recognize, okay, this is just, this happened. This experience happened. Exactly. And by speaking about it calmly and re-experiencing that trauma calmly, uh, sort of detached from it, no, not detached, but calmly, without the fear chemicals popping up in the brain, they actually rewire the brain. The brain changes. Yeah, the brain literally can change. And this is something back to what, you know, we were, we were just speaking about. And um, if you or your listeners are familiar with, with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Oh, I wanted to bring this up too. Yes, yeah. please go ahead. So he's, so Dr. Joe Dispenza is an amazing mind. I mean, people might know him from the movie The Secret, which I, I don't really connect with that movie. But the, but the, but the teachings and the essence of that of that storyline and of um, 
of what they're working on. The, the secret kind of more focuses on being able to manifest financial, uh, financial success, which is of course very great and um, important for many. Um, but Joe Dispenza talks a lot about working in, in the quantum realm, which is very similar to the idea of subconscious realms, similar to the idea of past lifetimes, similar to the idea of everything that we're talking about. And when you work in the subconscious, that is a great place to activate the connection to the quantum realm. And I first found out about Dr. Joe Dispenza from one of my greatest teachers who's come to me the last few years, who's, who's she's a psychic. Sure, her name's Dr. She's not Dr. Her name's Kimber Allen. Um, she's the most powerful psychic I've ever met in my life. And um, I hope to work with her someday uh, in, in more of a professional capacity. And we, we talk about that sometimes. Um, but she's incredibly amazing. And she, and she first sort of told me about Joe, even though, you know, it's like, we all need these reminders. And even though for me, and this is my work, this is my life's work in, in doing this and, and learning more about this and helping other people's learn, people learn about this and do this work that I too get stuck in these storylines. I too get stuck in these, um, really, you know, self-fulfilling, uh, aspects of me creating certain negative thought patterns and reinforcing them every day of my life. And what happens is it creates these chemical signatures in our brain that our brain literally gets addicted to it. It gets addicted to these negative, crappy patterns of behavior that are ultimately self-defeating and hold us back and keep us from graduating to middle school. And uh, so she referred me to Dr. Joe and been kind of, you know, really studying his work and I'm doing an online course with him right now that's amazing and I highly recommend it to everyone. Um, and he's a scientist. He's done a lot of brain work, literally studying, analyzing the changes of the brain and how it changes by people simply thinking differently hmm. and it seems like the most woo thing you're ever going to tell someone and it truly works is unbelievable and this is the thing that why hypnotherapy can be so powerful is that when you are out of your conscious mind that can tend to be quite critical quite resistant quite and it's and again it's 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 an evolutionary thing right like we we need to have uh, a level of resistance and awareness and perhaps uh, um, critical uh, concern when meeting new people or like these types of things in our lives that, that help protect us, right? They help protect our physical form. But if those get out of balance, it can cause resistance to being able to do the subtle work to be able to meditate effectively, to be able to work in the subconscious realm effectively. So that's why people like you know, Brian Weiss, one of my teachers, I was saying, it's like, it, it sometimes it takes an active process. But when you can get into those subconscious states and have an awareness of what you really do need to be working on and able to implant in those places the exact things that you are wanting to be thinking, wanting to be feeling, the people you're wanting to be bringing into your life, the people... What you're doing is you're working in this quantum realm, as he describes, where you're taking the impossible, the future, the unknown, the whatever, but you're making it real 
and your chemical signature in your body. And it's unbelievable. It's truly powerful. Yes. Now, yeah, I think some of us can, can relate to this. Just something as simply as like, um, starting this podcast, every podcast I come into every episode, every conversation I say, or I whisper, or I think, please let this be a, a great conversation. Please let this be beneficial to whoever listens and, and to the person I'm speaking with and to myself. And and so it's, I mean, it's a little different from what you're saying, but I'm sending a message into my subconscious. Like, please allow me to speak truthfully and honestly and, and actually um, and, and articulate what, what, exactly what it is I, I mean to say. And this comes kind of back to where we started this conversation, which is this idea of prayer. When... When I'm, when I'm speaking like that, and when I'm basically trying to speak to my subconscious, this reminds me of prayer, mm-hmm. and I find it very comforting, and yet it, it, it's, it's still a belief. This is a belief for me, and I'm wondering how you relate to this, whether it's a belief, whether you know this to be true, but when I speak to my subconscious, I am also, exp- I'm also speaking to spirit. I'm, I'm speaking to something larger than myself. Um, it could be my, my ancestors, people that I love who have passed away. It could be God, all of it. Um, it could just be like ascended masters, Buddha, Jesus, really, really wise souls that hear me when I speak. They hear what I'm saying and they grant it to me. Hmm. Or, or they don't because that's what I'm not ready for it. Hmm. Is it how do you perceive this? Like um, for a person to embark on this journey of speaking to their subconscious and and attempting to implant positive changes how can the how can prayer enter into that hmm well i think i think you said it harry i think i think prayer uh deep states of what we you know identify as prayer are really just forms of deep states of working in the subconscious that I feel are ways to connect with many other states of reality, if you choose to call it that. And in those other states of reality, or non-reality really, you know, um, is where we can have communication with however we want to define God, however we want to um, define our work with ancestors, however we want to define our, our connection with, with different spirits, different spirits of plants, different spirits of animals, of, of human beings that were embodied. 
Um, I think I, I, that's, it, it, to me, it's one and the same. It's one and the same. And that's the amazing thing about the work that's coming out right now that MAPS is doing the Multidisciplinary Association on Psychedelics, how they've been able to get the, the MDMA protocol happening, which is what you spoke to, uh, for people with highly persistent post-traumatic stress disorder. But it's, it's really all works on, in the same capacity. It's finding, it's like peeling back the layers of the onion to get back to what is really the essence of the issue, what's really the essence of what caused the trauma. And what's really interesting about trauma, and I can just speak for myself, is that I've realized from the work that I do, it's been a long journey, a very mostly painful journey <laughs> of, of self-realization, um, that the trauma that anyone who would hear my story would look to as being the be-all trauma that I experienced in my life, which is when I broke my neck and was completely paralyzed and had less than 2% chance of ever moving and spent six months in the hospital and left me with serious neurological deficits and all of these things. Like, oh yeah, that's, that, was, that was it. That was the trauma. Hmm. You know, she's got to work on forever. It was actually not that at all. <laughs> And that's, and that's the really interesting thing about trauma is that um, what happens at the time when we experience it or when we don't even experience it, when we inherit it, when we inherit it from past lifetimes, when we inherit it through epigenetics, it's, it's not always able to be a finger pointed to it by a doctor. Or by ourselves even. You know, that's why it's important to do the inner work. Because the inner work allows you to say, okay, well, I have this problem. I'm getting sick. It's causing me physical issues. It's causing me mental, mental issues. I'm depressed. I got this. I got that. They're telling me I'm bipolar. Whatever your story is, it's like, wait a minute. What, what is really, really there? Some individuals, I do believe need to be taking pharmaceutical drugs, 100%. And not many people on a shamanic path would say that. It's not to say that they can get, you know, it's not possible to get off of them. It's not possible to do other things. In my mind, if someone has really great benefit in their lives from taking psychiatric drugs, they should do that. And it doesn't mean that it, they can't do the other work that they need to do to potentially get off of that. But it's also, we're in physical form. We're in embodied form. We need to kind of live a certain life to be okay, right? Or not, you know, it's your choice. But it, it, I think that there's a lot of other work to be done that can help relieve a lot of those individuals that are probably doing those things and maybe still don't feel great, which is a lot of people on psychiatric drugs because they don't necessarily approach what's really going on. What's really fundamentally there. That's keeping someone back. Hmm. 
It's a tough choice for me a lot of times. Mm. Um, thankfully, very fortunately, um, I don't have to turn to medicine all that often. Uh, medicine in, in pill form. Um, I guess the, the medicine is always all around us. This conversation is medicine. But... Um, For someone who who struggles with that question, like, should I take Western medicine? Should I take pharmaceutical drugs to help me with whatever it is? Um, and then to, to accompany that with this work of exploring the subconscious. Um, like just as an example, I've been reading about turkey tail mushroom, mm. and even like the most diehard herbalists seem to agree like it it does work really well with um, Western cancer therapy. So there there's that like Western and, and uh, Pachamama medicine coming together, but. that question and, and this brings up just a question of choice and, I'm, and I'm, you know you can only speak from your perspective so I want to ask you from your perspective for in making these choices making choices about what what's best for what's best for me what's best for this body what's best for this soul this mind what do I do what should I do that question becomes a prayer for me a lot mm -hmm. of times. And the prayer in the sense that I offer that question to something greater than myself. Mm -hmm. Seeking guidance in, in finding an answer to that question. In your experience, do you receive clarity through doing that, through, through seeking that guidance? And how, how does that clarity present itself? Hmm. It's a strange, crazy question, and I don't, I don't even know if I articulated it well. Are you speaking in in the idea of like specifically looking at whether or not to use pharmaceuticals? Let's look at that. I've had so much resistance to using pharmaceuticals throughout my life. Um. And it's a big part of uh, my connection to, to shamanic plant medicine, to earth medicine, to wanting to live as natural life as, as possible. That being said, you know, I think we have a dear brother um, named Ken. I always call him Ken Kestrel because I always see the Kestrel bird when I see him. Hmm. Uh, but our, our brother Ken Medicine... And I was talking about this with Ken once because I have to take two different pharmaceuticals in my life. And um, just because of physically what I've been through, physically what I've been through in this life, as someone who should have never walked again, should have never been able to pee again on her own, 
should have never been able to live 20 years, which will be next month, since I had my, 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 big, my big whoops <laughs> in this life. Mm. So, you know, in these years, it's been a big um, kind of coming to being able to take them. And Ken, you know, one time I was talking with Ken about this and my qualms over whether or not to take prescription drugs. And Ken looked at me, um, you know, such a beautiful brother, like has indigenous blood, Filipino blood, beautiful man. He looks at me in the eye and he says, pharmaceutical drugs are really just another level of our evolutionary power and our ability to survive in physical form. And that it's just the latest form of earth medicine that we have. And I thought about that and it really, really resonated with me in this way. And I, and I think that it's important for people who are faced with pharmaceutical, having, bueno, having to take pharmaceutical drugs or being, being told or, you know, whatever, having that as an option, whatever it might be, that they continue to do the work of getting to the truth of what it is they need to be quote unquote working on in their life, in their physical form as being embodied in the here and now. And, you know, the tribes that, that I learned from and that I, and that I spend time with, all of them believe, feel, know that in their cultures that any experience that might be causing dis-ease in the physical is as a result of an emotional body. Again, being any of the three sort of descriptions I gave earlier of epigenetics, of astral DNA, or of, you know, sort of past life DNA. And that's what they work on in their, in their tribes. That's what they work on in ceremony. That's what they literally do all day long is getting to the truth of what it is that needs to be getting worked on. And, um, yeah. And the thing is, is that once you have that level of awareness, that level of needing to do that work, it is a lifelong process because you might have never done it before on a soul level. Maybe nobody in your family has ever done it before on an epigenetic level. So what happens is, again, to use this, this overly used <laughs> um, idea of, you know, like peeling back the layers of an onion. It's like you're getting through the stuff that you need to get through to get to the bottom. And that, that to me is what I fully believe enlightenment is as we describe it, as we describe what the Buddha came to, what Jesus came to, they were able to peel back enough layers to get to their truth, their truth of, of being free of those other things that they were carrying. Yeah, it's, it, uh, having experienced trauma in my own life 
I, I feel that it defines me, that trauma. Mm-hmm. It's a defining experience for us. And we often can look to that, that trauma as actually extremely important in our journey, in our growth, mm-hmm. critical. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't really happen without that. So the trauma eventually leads us to have to look within. And as we look within and peel back the layers of the onion, we come to the subconscious layers of this lifetime. We come to the subconscious layers of past lifetimes, perhaps. And we keep going back. Eventually, it comes back to, at least it seems, it comes back to what the Quakers were saying, which is that there's just a bit of God in all of us. Mm-hmm. We peel back the layers of the onion far enough, we're all staring at the same little bulb inside that onion. Yeah. With that perspective, trauma can be perceived as a gift. So, so much as it leads us to peel back those layers. Trauma is the ultimate gift because that is fully in my experience what causes all of us to have to learn and to change and to grow. And trauma comes in different forms, right? I mean, big life challenges are oftentimes deemed as trauma, can be traumatic, can cause that same sort of, you know, feeling in your sacrum, that feeling in your, um, it, it just, if things were totally easy in this life, there would be no reason to grow. There'd be no reason to change and adapt and to move forward in your ability to move on and to be more developed. And it's, yeah, I mean, that's, and that's, and that's the inherent difficulty in, in this realm, in this dimension, in this physical form and being embodied and all those things. I've, I've, I've journeyed to some other dimensions. I went once to this place where it was so beautiful. I was floating. This was in a ceremony and I could see this entire city that was absolutely gorgeous. All of the buildings were translucent. There was these humanoid beings there. Don't know where I was. Would not say it was on planet Earth. Would not say it was in this dimension. And just from being there, I could get the sense that everything was equanimous in this realm. Everything was, you know, everything was run off of renewable energy. Everybody felt like they had a purpose and were loved in their life. Everybody had work that they felt like was fully empowering and great for them. Every And it was, everybody was going to work. I was watching everybody fill up these buildings and come in from their perspective homes and come into work and going, going on about their day and going into their life. 
And I remember thinking, huh, that's, that's a really interesting place to go to. It was like a, you know, a particulate of energy, a particulate of, but are they really learning much from having that experience? Are they really needing to develop much on a soul level as a being of energy, as a being of light? Or is this just kind of like the hangout spot? This is like the, okay, we'll just hang out here for a while. And like, you know, we've kind of done a lot of work in other places. We'll just, we'll just kind of ride this one out for a minute and hang out here. And I, and I think, I think there's a lot of, you know, places out there in the cosmos and other dimensions, however you want to describe it, that places are like that, that exist. But where we are right now is not one of them. <laughs> we all know this. And it's hard. It's really hard. Mm. It's really hard. Mm. But it's great in knowing. It's like, okay, cool. Like every day I've signed up to be here. And every day that I have the opportunity to be here is another opportunity that I have to learn and to grow and to inspire someone or to be inspired or to go out and touch plants or to you know, do these things. Well, I believe these are the words of Martin Luther King Jr. He said, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And mm this utopian realm that you visited may exist and maybe they're, they're hanging out. Maybe their soul needs a break from this tough middle world that we're in right now. <laughs> but it seems that, um, so long as there is this middle world with suffering and pain, even in that utopia, it, it can't be truly, truly peaceful. Hmm. My understanding is that, similar to how you described, uh, what was his name, Michael? Harner. Michael Harner. So this idea of there being sort of three realms, right? There's like Middle Earth, if you want to call it that, where we are, mm -hmm. and the, the upper realm and the lower realm, right? There's always kind of this balance. There's always this balance, right? There's always this balance happening. There's literally a, polar, a polarity of balance that happens on planet Earth, how we orbit around the sun, how we're in balance with other planets, how we're in balance in our Milky Way, with all of these other star systems. There's always a level of balance, right? So I think that there's fully dimensions that are like that, that are literally like what we would call utopia, heaven, Nirvana is just like everything's as good as it can be. It's like, oh yeah, this is it. This is like can't get any better than this. Mm. This is it. And then there's the opposite of that. Those places exist too. Whether or not they're in the same place, I don't know. I think this is where they are in the same place. Because mm. this is beautiful. I mean, when I hear people talk about how we're going to leave planet Earth and go to other planets in our solar system because it's like this planet is so beautiful. The people, the cultures, the languages, the clothing, the, it's just like, it's fucking beautiful. How are we gonna do better than this in this dimension, in this galaxy? And like, 
I don't know. I mean, it's, it's probably out there, but we haven't found it yet as humans. So, I mean, but we have all of that here. Like this is the balance Hmm. here. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I suppose that, uh, there is peace. There's peace on that utopian realm. There's peace in this middle world. And it seems to me there's, it's not even a responsibility. It's just a, a natural, it's a natural pattern. It's a natural reaction. It's, it just happens as, as one attains these ever greater levels of awareness and peace, climbing towards that utopia one must then share that peace and, and continue to, to, uh, preserve, or continue to share that peace, right? This is like the role of a bodhisattva is mm. someone who reaches enlightenment and can float on to the mm. spirit world, but chooses to stay here. Mm to to then be a guide for others yeah and i mean all the great teachers on this planet that's their role that's their role it's like okay come join me and i mean that being said you know like all of the great teachers who are here they still have their struggles because they're here you know i know a man that used to live with Mother Teresa in Calcutta, in the slums in Calcutta. And he spent a lot, a lot of time with her. And Mother Teresa used to go apparently up to Darjeeling and meet with a monk there towards the end of her life. And he told me, knowing Mother Teresa quite well, and a lot of Catholics might not be happy with what I'm about to say, but apparently she really came into serious questioning of her faith at the end of her life. And she was having to take on serious consultation from others around her faith, around what she had been through, which was serving the poor and the dying and really the outcast from society. We're talking lepers, we're talking people just absolutely suffering all day long, suffering through very painful death, imminent death. And her really having to struggle with that, struggle with faith, struggle with what God is. What is God? What are we doing here? What am I doing here? And I think every great teacher, every great spiritual leader, every great that is in the physical form in the here and now, again, it's that learning. It's like, it's, it's vital that they have those experiences because it's bringing in that point of evolution and learning. It's that difficulty that they're having to go through and overcome. And when he told me this about Mother Teresa, 
it made me just have even that much more love and compassion and just like, uh, like, wow. It just made her become that much more amazing to me is just this woman I've always looked up to because that's real. That's real. Mm. And that's very human. You know, here's this woman who's seemingly godly and otherworldly and because she was, she really was. Mm. But to still, you know, that's a very human thing to, to question these things, to question suffering, to question just the grief and the sadness that we all carry and some of us more than others. Mm. It's just so beautiful. Well, I thank you for fielding these questions (laughs) and you're a woman I respect deeply. So thank you so much for taking the time once again. Oh, it's my great pleasure. Thank you so very much. Really nice to talk to you.